0: Uh, within a year we we saw a complete transformation of, of those soils so to me that's one of the big soil advantages of crimping utilizing rye or whatever crop in that it you get the maximum out of that cover crop as an advantage to the soil
1: Welcome to the 268th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, regional food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Establishing a cover crop between the regular cash crop growing seasons may be a long-term investment in good soil health, but it's also an expense in terms of time, money, and other resources. That's why it's important when farmers figure out a way to get the most bang for their buck when it comes to, for example, planting rye in the fall and terminating it the following spring when the next cash crop is planted. Roller crimping provides just such a way to extend the soil health benefits provided by cover crops. This method, which involves running a rotating cylinder over a cover crop like rye, doesn't kill the plant outright. Rather, it crimps the stem enough to stymie further growth while creating a mulch layer that can protect the soil for much of the growing season. The soil also benefits from the root structure of a crimped cover crop. Farmers who have had success with the roller crimper system say they like how it allows them to control weeds without the use of chemicals or tillage. This makes it particularly attractive to organic producers who often must rely on disturbing the soil in order to keep weed pests at bay. But it's not just organic farmers who are showing an interest in using roller crimpers. Conventional crop producers are also interested in using the system to extend the soil health benefits of planting a cover crop. The Rodell Institute has created a template for the roller crimper tool and shared it with farmers across the country. In addition, led by plant scientist Aaron Silva, research at the University of Wisconsin has greatly advanced the use of the system on Midwestern operations. I recently chatted over Zoom with three people who are very familiar with the roller crimper system. Leah Vareek is an organic crop consultant with the Rodell Institute, and before that, she did roller crimper research with Dr. Silva, at the University of Wisconsin. John Jovog raises organic crops near Austin in southern Minnesota, and has been using the roller crimper system for the past few years. Steve Lawler, a resource specialist with the Bower County Soil and Water Conservation District, has worked with farmers like Jovog who are interested in the system. Varik started out by describing how exactly crimping works, and why a farmer might be interested in utilizing such a system.
2: Okay, so a roller crimper is a piece of equipment that is usually cylindrical. And that has some sorts of blades on it, which are not sharp blades, or they can be they can be sharp, but not sharp cutting blades. Uh, they're meant to crimp and not cut a cover crop. So the roller crimper will be used to terminate mechanically a cover crop without cutting it like a mower would or without tillage. So it will lay the cover crop down on the ground and terminate it by making little crimps or little indents in the cover crop and cut the flow of water and nutrients through the plant, which will ultimately terminate it. And so farmers would use it if they were in a conventional system and wanted to cut down on herbicides. And so they would use the crimper instead of um, herbicide to terminate And the the biomass of the cover crop that's rolled down will also suppress weeds layer on. So cutting on herbicide before planting and after planting as well. In an organic system, farmers would use it to decrease the amount of tillage that they would do in their rotation. They would not have to till the cover crop under, and they would not have to do mechanical weeding.
1: This maybe sounds like a dumb question, but I always wonder, what's the advantage of this over just mowing it?
2: Yeah, so with mowing it, you're going to size the residue, you know, depending on the type of mower, you're going to use smaller or larger, but it will decompose quite quicker than if you crimp it where you're not cutting it. You're just, you know, making it suffer for a little longer. And so it stays alive. Maybe it's pumping some water and nutrients, but it's also staying on the ground longer, protecting against weeds for a longer period of time.
1: And that's the idea is to try to keep that cover, that mulch uh, through the as, th- as much as through the growing season as you can.
2: Correct. The, the mulch there will be the entire weed control for the whole season. And for soybeans, we know that they don't close canopy very quickly. And so you need to have a good amount of biomass on the ground to protect the soil and stop the light from getting through it and thus stop weed emergence.
1: So you've done, uh, my understanding is you've done quite a bit of research with roller crimping. Can you describe a little bit of the research you've done and kind of what are the main questions you're trying to answer through this research?
2: Yeah, so prior to joining the Rodale Institute, I worked as a research specialist with Dr. Erin Silva, who is a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She conducts research in organic and sustainable agriculture. And under her supervision, I conducted a lot of research on organic no-till, mainly soybeans, a little bit was corn as well. And was the no-till soybeans into rolled down rye system? We looked at different varieties of rye, different species of cereal that we could crimp and plant soybeans into. We looked at triticale, wheat, rye. We looked at different planting dates for the soybeans, planting them. Before terminating the cover crop or at the same time of termination. We also looked at different uh, planter setup. So, really working with a professor, Dr. Brian Locke in biosystems engineering, who um, does a lot of equipment-related work. And so we looked at different closing wheels, coulter, down pressure in order to improve the stand of soybeans. We've looked at different models of roller crimper. Uh, compared them and and looked at the quality of the termination of the rye.
1: Through through this research uh, 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 and kind of your experience talking to farmers as well, who have been doing it on their own farms, what have you? What benefits have you found to the system? And and, and I guess also, what are the challenges to further adoption? Uh, you know, why don't we see more farmers using it? To, uh, even though there are those benefits there.
2: Yeah. So a few things that. I didn't mention, but we looked into our the seeding rate and the seeding date of the rye. And I think that's where the biggest limitation is for on-farm adoption. So I guess sometimes, you know, purchasing a roller crimper can be an investment that you may or may not want to make because you may or may not use it every year and so on. So sometimes that can be a limitation, but otherwise at the system scale, planting rye on time means planting it before October 1st. So that means it doesn't really work well in a corn-soybean rotation. I have seen farmers try planting the rye after the corn and fail because of that. And thus they don't get a good representation of how the system can work because there is not enough rye biomass and the weeds make it through. And, and so really breaking that corn-soybean rotation is what someone needs to do to have a good system with organic no soybeans. And a lot of farmers are just not willing to do it or very intimidating intimidated by the idea of changing their entire rotation Mm -hmm. Um, i would say we've done a bunch of research on seeding rates because we always recommend planting three million seeds per acre which is roughly three bushel 140 to 200 pounds per acre and that's pretty intimidating in in terms of seed cost and so that's also something we're looking into is how low can we go with the rice seeding rate to kind of save some money on that side? Um the benefit just pretty obvious at the farmer scale is on a conventional system cutting down on herbicide cost mm-hmm. and on an organic system reducing labor when you're really tied up and doing cultivation. you know you have corn and soybeans, at least you don't have to worry about your soybeans. you can focus on mechanical weed control in your corn or any other tasks that you have or things you have going on at the farm. It's really much less labor intensive than a tilled system. Then on, you know, soil health and environmental perspective, it's protecting the ground from erosion. You have the cover crop over winter. You have the cover crop during the season. And yeah,
1: those are all great benefits. So Steve, Leah talked a little bit about the advantages, particularly for an organic farmer or someone who is just trying to cut down on inputs and labor, that type of thing. But I know one thing you really pay attention to is soil structure and soil health. Could you talk a little bit about some of the, I guess, soil health and agronomic benefits you're seeing with farmers who are using it there in your local area there down in, in Southern Minnesota? One of the huge advantages of using rye uh, as a crimpable
0: layer right over, over, over your cash crop is that you're taking that cover crop and you're allowing it to grow to almost maximum physiological maturity. And so you're getting the, the most benefit out of that cover crop. It's staying in the ground and it's developing that root system and injecting energy to almost a maximum extent. And so uh, what we've seen is um, on a a couple of sites, uh, a lot of tillage prior to that being, uh, prior to the seeding of that rye in the fall, and then obviously uh, uh, green planting into it in the next, the following year. Uh, Lots of compaction, uh, a lot of tillage, uh, mainly from, uh, in one case, a mower plow, and then several tillages after that to to allow weeds to flush and things of that nature before the... uh, that fall rye was established, planted and established. But it's amazing. Uh, So we we looked at soils there and you could definitely see um, a compaction at the typical plow layer, which is at about where the moldboard rides in the soil. And uh, not a lot of good structure above that just because of disturbance from the following tillage methods. Uh, The following year uh, after the rye was quimped and uh, the soybeans were harvested, we looked at the same soil, same locations, and we saw uh, soil that looked completely different. It was actually aggregated throughout the entire plow layer. And below, we really couldn't find it uh, much for uh, compaction indications. And so uh, that is um, obviously a sign that you can actually rejuvenate a soil very rapidly, but it does take pretty intense uh, cover crop activity as well as cash crop activity. That's, That's also a uh, a cover crop too, and, but it takes uh, that and it also probably provides um, some evidence of that biological diversity might have an advantage as well too in, in aggregate formation, but uh, within a year we, we saw a complete transformation of, of those soils. So uh, to me that's one of the uh, big soil advantages of crimping utilizing rye or whatever crop in that it, you get the maximum out of that cover crop as an advantage to the soil.
1: Well, I think that's a really important point because, as Leah pointed out, it's, there is the, the seeding cost, and the it, it's a it's an input cost. It's not a free, completely free input that you're doing when you do cover cropping. So the, the more advantage you can get out of it, the better.
0: That's correct. And so uh, you're you're getting the advantage of rejuvenating soil, weed control, and then of course you're meeting uh, at least a couple of the soil health principles. And that is protection of the soil. And less disturbance uh, by utilizing a cover crop that way for that extended period of time.
1: So, Steve, you uh work in Maurer County there, and um that's kind of so- southeastern, uh, kind of the edge of southeastern Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's that cedar, cedar river watershed diet type of thing. What kind of interest are you seeing amongst, I guess, crop farmers in that area with, with the roller crimper system? Brian,
0: there's interest in, in- for organic operations. And the reason for that is they are in a little different rotation, more biologically diverse rotation system. For the most part, you know, 95% of our land resource area is either corn or corn and soybean. Okay. So uh, Leah, you pointed out very clearly that, you know, it's difficult to get that biomass on the corn year, you know? And uh, so I I don't see too much interest there on especially on conventional, corn, corn, soybean rotation systems, but uh, there is definitely interest um, for organic folks. And um, obviously we have those that, that make it work quite well. And uh, John, you're, you're one of those folks. I've learned so much just watching you. And I think that I don't think you're going, I think you're con- will continue in that direction because of your success. And so the field days that you have are really important because it seems like that's where a lot of the questions are is how do you make this work? You know, so, and, uh, and you, you know, you've been there, right? So you, you know that the biomass is important, that the seeding dates and all of that. Leah, you were there as well too. And and so I, I think you'll you'll continue to see it as rotations become a little bit more diverse.
1: And, and what are the challenges? I don't know, Is it been past, three or four years we've seen that used in that area um, that you've been seeing it used is, and uh, I guess, what are the challenges some of the farmers are facing? they're seeing in those years, we've seen extremes in weather <laughs> with <laughs> both wet and dry. Uh, so I guess that was a good test for the, for this system, but what right. do you see as challenges that they may face some, and I guess some questions that they may need to answer before it becomes more Commonly used.
0: Well, I think that it's it's kind of a a, a shock thing, right, to go into uh, a standing rye crop and actually put in, uh, you know, in, intercede a cash crop. You know, with a no-till machine, I, I most people look at that and. And say wow! You know how can that work? Uh, we did have an example of that on a tour back in in 2016. We went to a site with standing rye, and we walked in there, and people didn't realize they were actually walking over the soybeans. They never even saw the soybeans growing underneath. They just couldn't believe that it could work. I think we're still there. I, I just don't think people, even though they saw it. And it was crimped the next day, and, and it was a beautiful crop. I mean, there were a couple little challenges there, though the right crimper wasn't being used, that type of thing. So there was a little bit of overlap. And so there were a couple rows of soybeans that didn't look real good because of just too much crimping going on. and uh, you know. But, um, but, uh, uh, but it was actually a very normal, acceptable yield on that. Could I talk a little bit about maybe the potential? In, yeah, especially unconventional, sure. and you know we do have a lot of vegetable uh, we have a lot of pea and sweet corn and I could see you know there could be real advantages there of going in after those early harvested season crops and getting that rye seeded in properly and at the right time at you know to get the biomass for the following year so I think there is potential there and we need to really work on that with with farmers.
1: That's a really good point, because Leah pointed out that one of the challenges is not getting, in the corn-soybean system, not getting the corn off in time to get that rye established. But with the canning crops, I hadn't thought of that. That Those are coming off, what, in August, often? August,
0: definitely uh, very common. with uh, And with uh, peas, it would be probably almost July. Late season sweet corn could be a problem, but you know that just a portion of these uh, sweet corn crop is late season. So, again, I think we've got great potential that we're probably not even taking advantage of right now.
1: So, John, you hosted a field day last summer, and or I guess it was in September, and we were able to see some of your results of using the roller crimper. But could you give us some background and what, how long you've been using it, and why? What what was it that first prompted you to get that an interest in using the roller? Crimper system.
3: Yeah. I I think my first year four years ago when I tried a little small eight acre field just to give it, give it a try and see see how it would work. You know, I tried some organic soybeans a few years prior to that and really had a hard time keeping the weeds out. And um, you know, I mean the yield on the beans is okay, but the the weeds keeping them out that was a big challenge. So I didn't grow any organic soybeans for a couple of years. And then I I saw some. I actually YouTube videos and I think it was at the organic conference in La Crosse where I saw uh university of Wisconsin It was Aaron Silva. And I think Leah was definitely involved at that time too, with the university of Wisconsin. They had some information on that and that really perked my interest in terms of thinking, man, if they can, if we can make a system like that work, that would be really fundamentally a game changer. I think in terms of producing crops. So I went and uh, kind of sp- Found a, found a, a used no tail drill and uh, a roller crimper, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to, uh, just a front mount roller crimper, and I thought, I'm just going to give it a try. So, I did eight acres, and I'd say mixed. I learned a lot that first year, uh, both what to and what not to do, but I would say medium success that first year. So, I thought, well, then we'll do 100 acres. <laughs> so. I, I did about uh, 93, 94 acres the next year, and that worked pretty well. I was pretty happy with it overall. And then I, I did have to get some bean walkers, a uh, crew to come in and and do a little bit of uh, bean walking in there, and that worked out pretty well. The, you, you know, and then it just just kind of progressed from there. And I'm really sold on that system with my rotation. And I actually this next fall, I think, and I but I'd like to try about a 14 or 15 acre field of corn because it's a it's a hay field that I can terminate early enough to get very vetch and rye mix in there. So I really want to try that with some corn too because I can work in a four-way rotation in my system or or, or even more but so I can get that stuff planted early enough. Motivation is to to both hold the soil, uh, the the amount of less labor time passes over the field. I, I don't know. I'm
1: I really like that
3: system. So I really want to do more and more of it, I guess.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like weed control was a big motivator for you. Uh-
3: yeah. Yep, weed control was a big motivator. Uh, some other side benefits uh, that I would say came along the way, along with weed control, would be moisture retention in that soil. We had a, a moisture sensor in there one year because we had it under an irrigator. And so I had this this that measured the moisture six inches and 18 inches down. And uh, the first year I was driving back after I was doing some stuff and I was, everybody had their irrigators on as I was driving Home and I thought, man, this thing didn't say that we needed it. So I called the people who put it in and I said, hey, I just want to check and see, do we need to be running this or what's what's the the deal with this sensor? And they thought, ah, everybody's running. You you must have to run it. They said we must have a bad sensor. So then they came out, they swapped it out with another one, and that was still telling them the same thing. We were able to go about another ten days before we still ran the irrigator because you know it's not going to get you. It'll only get you so much longer. But we went another ten days. Before we ran that irrigator, and that's a big deal if you think about it, you know ten more days before you need moisture and then even where the irrigator didn't hit, those beans still produced pretty well, uh, you know when we were checking at the end of the season where the the buds you know the little flowers you know whether they'll fall off or not, you know if it's just a little too dry, you might have a few blossoms, but if they fall off they won't set a bean head, and even out there, most of those were staying on, and, and we had pretty good yield even outside of the year. one other um, side benefit was the previous year we had a really wet spring and we have a spot in the field. We don't have a lot of tile out there and we have always notoriously wet. We went and checked the tile to see we have one. It's just a single tile line that runs out of that field. We went and checked that tile line by the river because the rye was too tall to go and look at anything. And it was not running. We thought, Oh crap. We're going to be, we got either a blown tile line or something happened so that that tile line in the, in the spring. And we went through and, uh, When I went to plant that and crimp all that whole field, never came across the wet spot. And We had so much rain. Then that fall, you know, when there was no more standing rye, we had water coming out of that tile. Everything was working in that tile line. It was working. It's just that with all that rye, it allowed that water to percolate through that soil, I think, just better and took it up that we didn't have that that same problem in the spring. In the fall, when we went through the combine, we hit the wet spot. We're like, "Oh, oh, it's still there. But that's, uh, those are, you know, so we've noticed even more side benefits from doing it. Yeah, so I'm kind of really excited about trying to do it even in corn. In going to have to get a little shorter season corn, maybe a little shorter day length, and see, you know, I'm just going to try a, a, it's
1: about a 14-acre field. So what advice would you give somebody who is interested in doing this? And and one thing I wanted to, I don't know if you were on when we were talking about this, but Steve said one of the big uh, um Challenges for farmers is it's such a shock to maybe uh, plant into uh, that green stuff. You know, it's just like, oh, my gosh, I got this seed that I've invested in. Was that for one thing? Was that a big was that a big uh, barrier for you to get over? And I guess just any advice you would have for somebody who wanted to experiment with something like this? For me, the biggest thing
3: was the first year is understanding when I needed to go out to crimp and plant because I did it in one pass. So to understand, I mean, I was out there a lot looking, and then I was going online and trying to find pictures of, of what it's supposed to look like. And I'd go out and I'd be looking, and I'm like, well, I don't know, I, you know, it's getting close, and, you know, I think that I was a little nervous about that in terms of hitting the timing right, uh, especially the first year. Now I realize there's a little bit longer window. It's not like you just have a couple of days. You know, you've got a little bit of a window in there to get it done, which is kind of nice. I would say another hurdle, you know, I think getting the depth and making sure that I had that seed getting into the ground. I think the first couple of years, especially I was out up and down that planter in the tractor and going and checking a lot because I was nervous about riding up and not getting that because I'd go out and look every once in a while and see that I wasn't getting the depth that I wanted to. So I got kind of nervous about getting that depth, getting that seed into the ground. You know, to get that good seed to soil contact. So but a lot of this stuff, I know the the videos that that Leah and, and uh, Aaron that they they put together they have some YouTube videos on it, and the Rodale Institute had a little bit too that I, I mean, I think I spend a lot of time watching YouTube. So it's nice to have places doing research trials on that to give us you know, take at least a chunk of the learning curve out. You know that it can be done. And so then knowing that it can be done gives you a lot more motivation to say, hey, Hopefully I can mimic
1: that. John, could you just give us a quick rundown of, I know every year is a little different, there's no typical, but what would be the typical schedule for when you put in that rye crop the previous fall or whatever, and then when you're, try, you're trying to crimp it and plant it, and and then uh, it, just give us a, a schedule just to, you know, what, how it's worked for you anyway, what your schedule has been as far as using this system. Yeah, I've tried to follow pretty much
3: what the University of Wisconsin has talked about. I I I try to get that rye in by the fifteenth of September. I am following all grain, uh, crop or field peas or combinations of different things to try to get something in so I can get in the field by the fifteenth of September to get it worked and planted. Some years I've been more on the seventeenth, eighteenth of September, and then then some years I've gotten it in by the fifteenth, but right in that window, and I seed about. Three bushel of rye per acre, maybe a little strong, a little over three. I do depends on what crop I'm following. Have gone and um, you know if I if I follow a field pea or something that might have fixed some nitrogen, then I'm not worried about that. If I'm a little, if I've done like a, a corn and then a small grain and something that I have put a little bit of manure out there uh, before the rye, but not a lot. I've done that just to get a little bit more, make sure I had enough. Because I, I think of that rye as being a very crucial part. you got to do the rye right. because So you got to look at the field of, of your planting of rye, making sure that that rye is doing well. I want to make sure that that's all done because that's your main focus. You want to have your field prep smooth, you know, because when you roll a crimp, you can't crimp over a real rough field very well. Do all that field prep when you plant your rye to make sure that you've got that field in good shape because you don't get another chance at doing anything in that field. You know, because all you're going to do is plant it and harvest it, and so then then I'll come come back and and plant. Uh, I'll plant the soybeans uh, around June. It's worked out to be pretty close to June 5th, give or take June 3rd, June 5th, June 7th, somewhere right. Usually around the 5th when I'm out planting those beans. And and I've planted a longer season bean these years, a two one. At that time, I did get a little nervous one or two years that that maybe it was going to get a little too late in the season, but we didn't get any early frost. So I might back try to find a bean that would do really well, maybe a little bit shorter variety bean. For for week control through the year, I've sometimes gotten in some uh, bean walkers that'll come for for a day or or something. Uh, This last year in my roller crimped, I didn't do that. I just had a neighbor who has an electric zapper and he came through and didn't hit the whole field, but he hit probably half half of the, the roller crimped ground with that zapper because I was getting some ragweed pots and a few other weeds that were coming. So was fortunate to have a neighbor who has one.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm gonna steal your line, John. You've got to do the right, right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that. Uh, getting that done. That's your only chance. You get that right done right. And then, then you're in good shape. <laughs>
1: For links to resources on roller crimping, see the Ear to the Ground podcast page for episode number 268 at landstewardshipproject.org. For more on other ways to build soil health profitably, see LSP Soil Health section at our website. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at BDVore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly. If you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.